Today we're in Matthew chapter 7. I'll be reading verses 1 through 6, though we'll be primarily in verse 6. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take out that speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite! First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give to dogs what is holy, and do not throw, to, uh, throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. You can be seated. All right. Well, this morning, as was just read, uh, we're going to focus our attention on a single verse from our Lord's Sermon on the Mount, and we're going to examine Matthew chapter 7 and verse 6, which warns us against giving to dogs what is holy and casting pearls before pigs. This is certainly an unusual mental image, and uh, perhaps to some ears, it's an unexpected thing for Jesus Christ to have said. Since he's clearly not speaking of literal dogs and hogs, but of people. And so this might strike some hearers as strange, maybe even a little bit harsh, particularly given the previous admonitions against judging others that were read just prior to this verse. So what's happening here is that Jesus is following up his commands to not unfairly and hypocritically judge others with a clear call that believers must still exercise discernment. Because the teaching of Scripture is not that we are to never make judgments, but that we should not make unjust judgments. We must not be like the Pharisees that Christ was speaking against, who counted just about everyone other than themselves as being unfit for the, to receive the things of God. And so our primary takeaway from Matthew 7, 6 is that while we are never to prejudge any as being unworthy of the gospel, we are called to exercise discernment to determine whether or not it is wise to continue to engage someone who is hostile to the gospel. So what is the duty of someone in a country that is uh, persecuting Christians, who is a believer, what is their duty when engaging an individual who will not hear the gospel and refuses to do so? What is the duty of someone who uh, works uh, in an office or some other job where all their coworkers are hostile to the gospel? What is their duty? Or the college student on a secular Campus. Well, that's the question that we have before us, and we'll look at a verse once more so it's fresh in our minds. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Well, in order to rightly understand this verse, we'll spend some time examining the metaphor that Christ is using. And secondly, we'll consider the meaning and application of that metaphor. So let's look first to the metaphor. And I have no intention of giving a grammar lesson 
So don't, don't worry. Uh, but by way of reminder, for those of us who are well past our elementary English class years, and for those who are not yet old enough to be in them, a metaphor is a figure of speech in which a word or a phrase is applied to an object where it's not literally applicable. So in other words, it's when we use representative language, speaking of one thing when we literally mean another, when your mind is going a mile a minute, when someone is drowning in grief or has a broken heart, when your room is a pigsty or the airport was a zoo. These are metaphors. They're, they're vivid imagery. They're not meant to be taken literally. And this is what Jesus Christ is doing here. He's not giving advice on how to safely interact with particular members of the animal kingdom. He's speaking of people and of spiritual truths. But before we can seek to understand the human application of his words, we do need to spend a little bit of time fleshing out the metaphor itself. And this metaphor really has four different elements. What is holy, or depending on your translation, that which is sacred. We have pearls, we have dogs, and we have pigs. So let's look briefly at each element. The reference to what is holy or sacred, this of course speaks to things that are set apart, that are sanctified for a special purpose. When we're talking about the things of God, uh, we're talking about things that are of spiritual significance. And it's in the same sense that pearls are used as a stand-in for something of great value, which, of course, is not the only time that we see this in Scripture. We see um, the descriptions of what heaven is like and pearls being used. We'll recall Jesus' illustration later in the book of Matthew, Matthew 14. He says again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. The, the pearl represented something that had uh, just tremendous value, so much so you'd sell everything else that you had in order to buy it. At this time, in this age, pearls were worth about three times that of gold. So that which is holy and this valuable pearl are stand-ins for the spiritual treasures of the things of God, chief among those being salvation in Jesus Christ. And we are not, Jesus tells us, to give such valuable things to those who will not value them and may even become hostile towards them and towards us as a result of our offer. We see here we're talking about dogs. When Jesus speaks of dogs, it's, it's really important that you remove from your mind the image that you'll immediately have of a nice pet dog with a name and a collar and its own bowl and a chew toy that sleeps in your house. This is not the reality in first century Israel at all. Dogs are filthy, dangerous, diseased mongrels. They roamed the streets at night. They devoured garbage, even corpses. They attacked people. So think of a starving, rabid coyote, and you'll have a better idea of what is being said here than you will if you're thinking of your pet dog. And this general disgust for dogs is what led to this being used as a common insult, a term of derision. The Pharisees would refer to all Gentiles as dogs. 
The apostle Paul called false teachers dogs. In Revelation 22, dogs represent those who are kept outside of the holy city, along with sorcerers, murderers, idolaters, and others. So to be called a dog was to be called unholy, profane, wicked, someone who would disdain even the greatest treasures that God gives and turn on those who offered them. Pigs don't fare much better than dogs in the context of the ancient Near East. Swine or pigs were considered unclean animals. Jews wouldn't eat pigs. They wouldn't own pigs. They wouldn't be near pigs. They probably wouldn't associate much with those who were around pigs. Moreover, a pig is not uh, a very intelligent creature. A pig cannot appreciate a pearl any more than a cow in the field can appreciate a beautiful sunset. It simply is not capable. No matter how many times you present a pearl to a pig or how eloquently you extol its virtues, the pig will show no interest. It will simply trample them under feet. It's a waste of time. So what happens if you give that which is holy to dogs? Or you give pearls to pigs. Well, these animals are controlled by their appetites and they have no appetite for spiritual things. Don't give them such things lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. A ravenous dog is apt to turn and attack you, rend you, tear you to pieces, depending on the translation of the Bible you're using. If it becomes agitated with you, or if it feels threatened by you, or frankly, if it just feels like biting you. A pig will treat with apathetic contempt any precious item you present it with. It cannot be consumed. If it can't eat it, it doesn't care about it. And so it gets trampled underfoot like dirt and mud. It gets treated as if it were worthless. In either case, it is a poor use of the valuable thing that has been entrusted to us to give them to dogs and to pigs. Rather than putting them to good use, these treasures have been devalued and disdained by allowing them to be mistreated by animals that cannot appreciate them. So this is a vivid metaphor of not giving some valuable thing to an animal that is not going to appreciate it, disdain it, turn and attack you over it. And it makes clear the futility and, and the foolishness, really, of what is being described. You can't imagine going to the ATM, getting out a bunch of money, and then bringing them to a barnyard situation and, and giving to the pig. It's, it's not going to accomplish anything. So the metaphor itself is very clear. What then is the deeper meaning of it? And how do we rightly apply that meaning to our lives as believers? Well, let's look now at the meaning of the metaphor. As I've already said, and as you already knew, Jesus is not really speaking of animals here, but of people. Those who are so decidedly opposed to the gospel and to the things of God that offering spiritual treasures to them is akin to giving that which is holy to a dog or a pearl to swine. Now, in other areas, they would be glad to hear us and even warmly accept our guidance and advice for their welfare. The preacher Charles Simeon said, if we could inform persons how to restore their health, how to recover an estate, 
how to obtain any great temporal benefit, they would gladly hear us and follow our advice with thankfulness. But when we speak of spiritual benefits, they have no ears to hear, no hearts to understand. And so this really is all the proof that we need to confirm the doctrine of total depravity, which teaches that man has been so corrupted by sin and the fall that he is unable to comprehend spiritual things, so much so that he would be indifferent or even hostile to the overwhelming blessing of God's grace in Jesus Christ. And of course, that's true. That is what Scripture teaches, 1 Corinthians 2.14. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. You see that apathy. Romans 8, 7, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot And so we see here the example of that hostility, the same things that we see in the metaphor that Jesus gave. There exist men and women in this world who, when being brought the things of God, will not only disregard them, but will deride them, that will denigrate the Lord of glory and perhaps even attack us verbally or physically. And so what are we to do in light of such a tragic Reality, Christ tells us not to give to dogs that which is holy, nor throw our pearls before pigs. And again, that can sound very harsh. That can sound even unchristian until we do the work to understand what is being said and why. We're not to give people what they will treat with disdain or supply them with opportunities to blaspheme. We see this admonition being followed in Scripture. This is one of the reasons Christ taught in parables. When explaining why he did so to his disciples, he said, because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. You will never find Jesus in Scripture attempting to convince the scribes and Pharisees who are so adamantly opposed to him in his teaching. No, instead he He rebukes them, and then he goes and he teaches those who have ears to hear it. We also know from Luke's gospel that when Christ was brought before Herod, he did not speak anything in his defense. We read, when Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad, for he had long desired to see him because he had heard about him. And he was hoping to see some sign done by him. So he questioned him at some length but he made no answer. It is the same Herod that Christ referred to as a fox in Luke 13, not because he was sly and crafty like a fox, but because he was like an unclean, scavenging, dangerous animal. Jesus would not give what was holy to a dog. Paul, likewise, did not seek to continue talking to and running into a metaphorical brick wall. Acts 13, verses 44 to 46. The the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. 
But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. In Acts 18, we read about his efforts to evangelize the Jews, that when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I go to the Gentiles. While he was in Ephesus, we read that he entered the synagogue and for three months he spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him. So we have both by command and by example, the instruction to not present the things of God to those who are adamantly opposed to them. Why is this the case? Is there no virtue in persistence in the face of resistance when it comes to evangelism? What is the harm if we just keep pressing forward? Well, let me suggest three reasons that we are not to throw pearls before pigs or give to dogs what is holy. The first is that we have limited time and resources. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few, and God does not need his harvesters wasting their time and energy when there is wheat to be brought into the barns. You'll see Paul here did not give up on evangelism or go home and just make tents again. No, he moved on to preach the gospel somewhere else where that opposition was not so adamant. Second reason is you may really only serve to further harden them to the gospel. If someone rejects your efforts to share holy things, persistence may only serve to drive them further from God and not draw them closer to him as they misinterpret the reasoning for why you are sharing with them. Thirdly, and and perhaps the primary reason here, is that we have a great regard for the holy things of God. Would you hand your Bible to someone who was only going to throw it into the mud? No, you wouldn't because of your respect for the word of God, even when they had none. We do not give what is holy or spiritual pearls to blasphemers and to infidels because such treasures are far too precious to us to see mistreated. So what does this mean practically on how we engage the world around us? particularly those who are outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's really the question here, isn't it? This is the part of this verse that really leaves us a bit uncomfortable and maybe scratching our heads because we can see how a lack of wisdom in applying this verse could come into conflict with our call to evangelize all people. Well, first, let me make clear that this verse does not in any way teach that we should refrain from sharing the gospel. Matthew 7, 6 does not mean that we avoid speaking the truth in hard situations or that we shouldn't make a stand for Christ and for his truth if we know that we'll be derided and mocked and made fun of or even harmed. 
It does not mean that we do not make an attempt to share the gospel with those who we merely expect will oppose it. Let me say that again. It does not mean that we do not make an attempt to share the gospel with those who we merely expect will be opposed to it. It is sinful to see any category of people, no matter how you go about it, whether it be race or nationality or income or social status or anything else that you can think of as being unworthy of attempting to bring them into the kingdom of God by sharing the good news of the gospel. Although the term dog was used by the Pharisees and others to deride the Gentiles as a whole, as, as an entire people group that was unworthy of, of being shared with the things of God. That's not how it's being used here. Jesus gladly dined with tax collectors and sinners. He spoke with the woman at the well. He hung out with the likes of Zacchaeus. So we must not use this as a means to excuse ourselves from the Lord's command to preach the gospel to all nations and all people because we assume for one reason or another, they, they probably won't be open to it. As Bible commentator uh, Jameson Fawcett Brown put it, let us be on our guard against too readily setting our neighbors down as dogs and swine and excusing ourselves from endeavoring to do them good on this poor plea. In other words, we can't just assume, oh, that's, that's, a, that's a metaphorical dog, metaphorical pig. They're not going to appreciate the gospel. I won't even try. It's not worth my time. That's not what is happening here in our passage. Don't make the mistake of applying Matthew 7, 6 in isolation from Matthew 7, verses 1 to 5. We're not to prejudge others as unworthy of the gospel. We're to take both of these things together. We're to offer the gospel freely and refrain from further attempts when those efforts are continuously rejected. We must always be ready and willing to both seize and create opportunity to share the gospel with others, desiring that they would come to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, because we can't know who the dogs and who the hogs are and separate them from the lost sheep in need of a shepherd. And so we preach the gospel indiscriminately to all. Where our verse comes into play is when we receive repeated, stubborn rejection of those spiritual treasures in the form of either aggression or of apathy. That is when we are to stop sharing that with them and go on to greener pastures. At that point, we are under no further obligation to continue to offer them what will be trampled underfoot or that which will only elicit a sinful response for them and heap even greater judgment on them than that already exists. In fact, to do so is not a virtue. It would be to violate this command of Christ to not give to dogs what is holy or throw your pearls before pigs. Now, to be sure, there is, there is great reason to be persistent in sharing the gospel with others. There are untold numbers of saints in heaven who would count God's work through a patient and faithful family member or friend as the means by which they were saved. However, we recognize that such things do not come about because they were conjoled into converting to Christianity. 
When someone is seriously opposed to our message, we must recognize that it is not our job, nor is it possible for us to drag someone kicking and screaming into the kingdom of God. We cannot open blind eyes. We cannot unstop deaf ears. We cannot soften hard hearts or revive the spiritually dead. Only God can do that. So let God be God and move on to the parts of the field that are ripe for harvest. God is sovereign and can, if he is pleased to do so, still save that individual who responded so angrily or or mockingly at your attempts to bring them biblical truth. So leave it in his hands. May he be pleased to use what has, from our limited human perspective, a failed attempt to evangelize. May he be pleased to bring someone closer to that day when they will meet Christ not as adversary, but as Savior. Recall that Paul said, I planted and Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. Well, maybe before someone else comes and plants and waters, you will sometimes be that instrument by which God turns up the hard, compacted, dry soil, as unpleasant as that might be. When taken in balance, we see that this command of Christ in Matthew 7 to not give what is holy to dogs does not in any way conflict with his command in Matthew 18 to preach the gospel to all nations. We are to proclaim the good news and and share other spiritual, you know, treasures that we have that are ours in Christ indiscriminately to all as he is pleased to draw a people unto himself from every tribe, nation, and tongue. But when you encounter an individual who like dogs and pigs, are so blind to spiritual things, so focused on their temporal desires and appetites that they repeatedly and forcefully reject our message, we are to move on. Now, that does not mean that we cease to desire that they would come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. We don't treat them with contempt but with compassion, really, even more so when seeing the desperate reality of their spiritual blindness. So what are we to do in a situation where it has become clear that the person that we are trying to engage with spiritual truths is not interested to the point where they are hostile? They are, they are so apathetic towards them that they are treating them with disdain. Well, by way of application, as we draw this message to a close, I'd like to present what our duties are as Christians when it comes to seeking the salvation of others in situations like this. We are to present, persist, pause, and pray. Four things, present, persist, pause, and pray. First, we're to present the gospel. Again, we do not fall and must not fall into the pattern of the Pharisees, which Jesus is speaking against in reminding us to not judge others or count them as unworthy of salvation. We are unworthy of salvation and God was pleased to save us. Nobody is worthy of salvation. That's what makes it so great. So don't prejudge others and assume that they should not have the gospel brought to them. We bring the gospel to anyone and to everyone. Secondly, we are to persist. 
And I, and I don't mean that in a way that, that goes back and undoes everything we just looked at. We are to persist. We should not interpret the first dismissive comment or a blank stare or a rude response as proof that we are in fact talking to someone who falls in the category of dogs and pigs. You don't give up at the very first sign of, of resistance or, or not having a response where they immediately and gladly accept the gospel. That's an unrealistic expectation. You recall in that passage I read previously about the Apostle Paul turning away from his opponents in the synagogue. He did so after he had for three months spoken boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. He didn't walk into the synagogue, mention Jesus, get a chuckle and then leave. The Apostle Peter, when preaching and the comment from the crowd is, oh, he's just drunk. He did not pack up his things and leave. No, he continued to reason with them. So don't be so quick to excuse yourself from the command of evangelism because it's already a difficult thing for us by saying, oh, just dogs and pigs, I'll, I'll move on. No, we are to persist. And we're continuing to seek ways in which we can shine as lights into their world and hopefully make inroads that will prove spiritually fruitful unless and until it becomes clear that this is not going anywhere. In fact, it's, it's only causing problems. If and when the situation calls for it, thirdly, we are to pause. If we run into a situation which our efforts have been repeatedly rejected, the person is clearly opposed to what we are attempting to do, we are not to continue our efforts. If it becomes apparent that any holy thing that is offered to them is going to be treated with contempt, that our Lord is going to be blasphemed, that the things that are so precious to us are going to be mocked, that we are maybe even going to be attacked for them, we are to refrain from doing so. Now again, that does not mean that we cease to share the gospel when the culture that we are in, the situation that we're in, the context that we're in, means that others are going to mock and deride and attack us. You see the difference in this passage here. This is talking about to an individual so adamantly opposed to the things of God that they can best be described as pigs and dogs that are treating pearls and, and holy things with contempt and hostility. We may be in situations, there are Christians in situations where those around them will mock them and even do them harm to the point of death. And they are right and honorable and virtuous for sharing the gospel in those situations as they're bringing the gospel to those who, Lord willing, will have ears to hear and eyes to see. And they are lost sheep in need of a shepherd. They do not cease their their efforts as, as missionaries and evangelists because of what the society, the culture, those around them are going to do. That would be to be disobedient to other commands we have in scripture. We do, in fact, see it as a great virtue when someone withstands much in order to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with others. When we look at martyrs and missionaries and those in church history and those at work today in difficult contexts, we see the great value in those things. And even they have to use wisdom in these uh, scriptural teachings on when the actual individual they are engaging with is one in which they need to cease their efforts and turn 
towards giving that gospel to others. So when that happens, we pause. When that actual individual and not some people out on the side are mocking, are deriding, are getting angry, we're to pause. And, and notice that I don't necessarily say we are to quit forever. I use that word only to keep in the back of our minds that it is possible that God will yet use you sometime in the unforeseen future in that person's life, particularly if there's some relational connection that's going to keep you connected to them, if they're family, a close friend, a neighbor, but we don't know that. So we, at the very least, we must pause our attempts. We leave off our efforts. And fourth, we are to pray. Obedience to Christ's command here that we not continue to present spiritual things to this person directly does not require that we cease to go to the throne of grace on their behalf and pray that God would soften their hard hearts. In fact, it is a right understanding of God's complete sovereignty in saving sinners that informs both our relenting in our evangelistic efforts and in our seeking him all the more earnestly in prayer for their salvation. We recognize that we cannot force someone to follow Jesus Christ. We recognize that it is God who raises the spiritually dead and opens blind eyes and softens hard hearts and unstops deaf ears. And so with full confidence, we can remove ourselves from those situations, cease our engaging them in spiritual things and trust that if God desires to save them, he will absolutely still do so. It is not on us to drag them into heaven. So again, we approach our efforts to share that which is holy, to, to give out spiritual pearls by presenting and persisting, engaging others with the gospel, continue to do so, finding new ways to bring spiritual truths to their lives. But when it becomes clear that they regard those things with contempt, they are decidedly against them. They are against us. They are haters of God and anything that is from God. Well, we must pause what we are doing and go instead in prayer as of course we're doing throughout all that time. But that's the remaining option that we have in seeking their salvation is praying that God would soften their hearts and raise them from the dead. So may God give us the wisdom to know when to boldly proclaim the glorious truths of the gospel and when to refrain from doing so, moving on to a more fruitful harvest elsewhere. May God give us the wisdom on when to know to, to continue pressing in to a conversation or in a relationship and when to draw back from doing so. And may we rejoice in thanksgiving as we reflect on the amazing truth that God saw fit to redeem us, who but for his grace would have remained as hostile to the gospel as wild dogs and as apathetic as pigs with pearls. God has done an amazing work in us, often through others who were willing to share the gospel and persist in it despite our initial lack of interest. So maybe we be willing to do that for others. May God give us opportunities to preach the gospel 
Maybe may we be wise in knowing when to refrain from doing so, so that the great truths of God will not be disdained, treated with contempt. Others will not blaspheme. And at the same time, may we be bold, seeking in all ways and all times with all people to present the gospel of salvation in Jesus Christ, not fearing that someone may reject it, but let's have confidence in the truth of the message, confidence in its eternal lasting value for all, and confidence that in situations where that cannot and must not go forward with us one-on-one, that God is sovereign and in control and he will do what is right in relation to that individual. Let's pray as we close our look at this passage from Matthew's gospel. Lord, we thank you for these truths, even even truths that at first glance are difficult to understand or know how to rightly apply. We pray, Lord, that we would never see this verse as an, a get out of evangelism free card, but rather, Lord, we would understand that we must always be ready and willing to give a reason for the hope that lies within us, to share the truths of the gospel of Christ, and also to recognize, Lord, that uh, it is not to us to continue pressing against, pushing against, drawing, and, and arguing with others who are rejecting that we are to move on. So give us the wisdom to know how to understand and, and engage in those situations. And we thank you for the glorious truth that you have desired to save an untold number of people, innumerable people to yourself from every tribe, nation, and tongue. Pray that you would use us as you do that. In Jesus' name, amen.